Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Brad. And I'm your host, Sarah. And this week on the show, we had the privilege of chatting with author Lydia Kang, whose newest book is Star Wars Cataclysm, the adult novel conclusion to phase two of the High Republic. And man, what a book and what a way to close out uh, phase two from the Del Rey side of things. And we were just so excited to talk to her to celebrate the special occasion on this book birthday of all things, Sarah. I feel like with a title, Cataclysm, you know, some stuff is going to go down. And indeed it did. All roads lead to Dalna. All roads lead to Dalna. Which is <laughs> so funny. My tears. So funny because originally you thought Dalna would not be. Oh my God. Are you bringing this up right now? Are you bringing this up we right are. now on this intro yes. right now? But it's just, it was just very funny because Lydia used that phrase specifically in her interview. And I had to laugh because you love a losing I bet, Sarah. I feel like I'm being attacked on this podcast right now. <laughs> What did I do to deserve this? I lost one bet one time. I know. And it's just I mean, one, I have one time's lost, enough sometimes. I have lost other bets. I do love the losing bet. But but speaking of getting attacked, speaking of getting attacked, the Jedi versus the path of okay. the open hand. That was the lots of, That's why. Lots of things are coming together in this book. A, a cataclysm, you could say. Wow. Uh, but we were so excited to chat with Lydia. Some of her other work includes the book Toxic. Uh, and the November Girl, which was the winner of the 2018 Nebraska Book Award for Best YA Fiction. And she also writes some other uh, nonfiction and poetry as well. And she's also a practicing physician. She's which, really cool. She's kind of a superhero, I think. Honestly. Like writer, writer by night, physician by day. I mean, she's saving all sorts of lives, both through the written word and through medicine, which you got to got to praise it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And we had a really great conversation with her about um, this book and about uh, her journey with Star Wars and writing Star Wars. And we will warn you up front that we do not go into spoiler heavy content, but there are definitely allusions to spoilers. So if you haven't read the book, you might want to hold off if you don't want any idea of what's going on in this book or want to go in um, not having any allusions to spoilers. But if you do decide to pause this episode, read the book and come back, we look forward to you when to, to like to your ears when you return, I guess. Yes, uh, definitely what Sarah said. And this is a really great conversation, especially ahead of Star Wars Celebration. So listen to this on your plane ride. If you're going, listen to it at home on your sofa, buckle in. It's going to be a great one. So without further ado, let's jump over to our interview with Lydia Kang. Lydia, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to to have you as a first time here on the, on the show. Thank you. Thanks. It's really cool to be here. So at the time of this episode coming out, Cataclysm is on bookshelves. People may be getting it at their local store or possibly at celebration. You're listening to this episode on the way to, to the convention center. Uh, how does it feel to have that book out in people's hands to to read? Oh my gosh, it's going to be a little overwhelming. I think I I feel like we've been working on this book for some time, and it's just been worked on and worked on and worked on. And you know, to be able to actually hold the the final copies has been really strange for me. And it's going to be even stranger knowing that people are going to have these cracked open and reading. And like during celebration, you know it's going to be coming out. So some people are literally going to be cracking that book open as they like walk around during celebration. So it's going to be pretty amazing, pretty unusual, I think, of an experience as far as a release day is concerned. It's like one giant weekend long book event, really, (laughs) for book fans, having all the books there and seeing people, you know, lining up to buy special editions and all that stuff. That should be really excited. I'm so excited for you. (laughs) I know. I can't wait to see the special editions and like the gold, the gold yellow pages and the the blue pages is going to be so pretty. And um, I don't know. I have a feeling like my brain is just going to be exploding like multiple times. You know, that feels like that's the vibe when it comes to Star Wars, when it comes to the High Republic, when it comes to Star Wars Celebration. So embrace it, you know? Okay. All right. So if I look completely weird and slack jawed throughout my whole time there, you guys will all understand why. Absolutely. You and 70,000 other people. <laughs> all, all looking the same way, honestly. Oh. Clueless. Wow, wow, wow. Clueless and surviving off hot dogs and potato chips. We're all, we're all just <laughs> hanging in there. Awesome. We shall all be doing it together. 
it's fascinating because like, you know, Light of the Jedi was supposed to come out at Celebration and obviously a pandemic happened and that got delayed. So your book is the only one to come out the week of a celebration for the High oh Republic, which yeah, is so, probably, so cool for yes. you. So right. Totally. Very fascinating. Oh. So you'll have new memories as a Star Wars fan, but like kind of keeping with that line of thinking, like your earliest memories as a Star Wars fan, let's let's rewind a little. What are some of your earliest uh, memories as a Star Wars fan, like growing up with it? And what inspired you about like the first time you saw those movies or maybe got into some books or TV shows? So um, I think I've told this before, but like I saw Star Wars um, A New Hope when it first came out in movie theaters in 1977. So I was a very young child and I, I didn't I don't remember a ton about the movie, but I do remember Luke's final run with the yellow goggles on and just being extremely stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> when I was watching it. And um, I remember a lot of like, you know, the fear of um, seeing like, you know, when the other movies came out, like uh, certain certain like scenes just like really stuck out in my mind as a kid. But I would watch them over and over again because they were just they would be on all the time on television, like during the holidays. And so it was like this holiday thing. It was sort of like there was eating turkey at Thanksgiving and there were Star Wars. And at Christmas, it was like there was opening presents and there were Star Wars. So it was just like constantly part of my my childhood, all these really special occasions and Star Wars was constantly in the background. And after, um, you know, four, five and six came out, um, you know, the Ewoks got really hot, you know, for young kids. And so there was like a show, there was like a cartoon and um, I would watch those all the time. I didn't I kind of had forgotten about them for a long time. And then I was like, I used to watch Ewok cartoons constantly when I was a kid. <laughs> and, um, and I really, really love them like Wicket and all them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it was just sort of part of my childhood growing up. I, I never delved super deeply into a lot of the, the, the world outside of the movies. And so I wasn't like reading a ton of books or comics or things like that. Um, and yet it was still like all over the place. Like, you know, we would have like pillowcases that were Star Wars and we would have like action figures around all the time. And, you know, my having children myself, like our house has been filled with like Lego related Star Wars stuff, like constantly. And so um, I just feel like it's sort of always been there and there's always been a deep love. Like my husband's car is a white car with black accents and it looks like a stormtrooper and it's named TK421. So it's like, Things like that, just they're like, they're small. They sort of show our love, you know, and people who aren't at that slightly deeper level of fandom, like just don't get it. And, but we're, we've just been living there for some time. We love it. You're like, and yes, uh, my uh, droid spatula is just a part of my life. You know? <laughs> no, exactly. We have like multiple pairs of chopsticks and they are all lightsaber chopsticks. Perfect. And no you notes. can't put them in the dishwasher. You have to hand wash them because they're very, you know, whatever. But they're very slippery. I don't like to use them. They're, they're very special. But um, yeah, like just things like that. Like they're just, it's just like in your life, just part of your life. It's a normal part of your life. And um, so that's sort of where I was before I ever became a Star Wars writer. I love the Ewoks shout out. You know, it's the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. There's going to be a lot of Ewok merch at Celebration, let me tell you. I know. So I'm curious to see if there's <laughs> going to be Ewoks in the... Um, in the anthology and like who's gonna write about that yeah yes like. i'm very so exciting excited <laughs> to find <Yeah>. out <laughs> yes. totally excited. um kind of you know looking at your uh background and your work um we found out you went to medical school and are a doctor as well as being a writer these are both very demanding professions that require a lot of time and focus. And I would love to know, you know, what interested you about the medical field and, and going down that path and also uh, being a writer and going down that path and, and how you balance those kind of two avenues or two parts of your life. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit weird. I'm constantly switching back and forth. So like this morning I was seeing patients and this afternoon I'm like, you know, on Twitter doing Star Wars stuff. And then like, I'm calling patients and it, it, so I, I, they, they really mix up quite a bit. And, um, I, I did not expect to be a writer when I was younger. I, um, I knew once I got to college, I kind of knew that I wanted to be um, a doctor. My dad's a psychiatrist and my brother's a hand surgeon. So there's like, you know, they're doctors in my family. Um, but um, 
I, I guess I always sort of had an itch to write stuff, but I, I didn't try in any sort of earnest way until I was like nearing 40. And I had already been a practicing physician for like 10 years. And um, I just decided to give it a shot. It's a, it's a very long story, but suffice it to say, I, I kind of started with writing um, nonfiction, like essays about patient care and poetry, actually. And then dove into young adult novels and I got my first book, um, deal. It came out in 2013. Um, and then after that, I branched into like historical mysteries for adults. And then I also branched into like history of medicine stuff with quackery. And then somewhere along the way I got involved in star Wars and I still sometimes look at like, you know, the, the books that I've written and I'm just sort of like, this is very weird. I write, I just write so many strange things that don't seem to be related to each other. But um, I don't think that really answered your question. It just, they happened in, um, not in tandem, like one after the other. Um, The writing sort of came alongside my work as a physician because I just wanted to do it so badly. And people always ask me, how do you do both at the same time? And the very easy answer to that is that I'm a part-time physician. And so, I work like a couple days a week and the other days of the week I'm writing and I can compartmentalize pretty well and I can be really efficient if I need to be. Sometimes I'm extremely not efficient, um, but um, I guess I'm, I'm really good with deadlines. Like you want me to get something done and you give me a deadline, like I will do it very quickly. So, um, so somehow I managed to, I guess all the work of being a physician and sort of being in time management stuff has managed to work out in my writing, writing world. But yeah, here I am. I have like the weirdest career ever, but <laughs> I think it's kind of incredible though, because you kind of get to do the the creative aspect for it and write for a lot of different audiences as well, but also do uh, practice medicine and, and help people in that way as well. And they're both healing things. If you ask me storytelling and medicine. So yeah. It makes the high sense. the high republic it, is medicinal. That's for sure. It it's, is totally uh, medicinal. Gotten me, I think, like, gotten Star me through Wars some ta- like, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, totally. I totally agree. Um, and you're right. It is. It it does. Like I feel like it serves humanity for in different reasons. Um, and uh, and for good. So yeah, they. I think they've both helped me tolerate some of the stressors that happen in each profession. So anybody who works in healthcare knows that it's difficult at times and it's it's like you want to bang your head against the wall on occasion. And working in publishing is also really stressful, but in its own way. Um, and they they somehow soothe each other because the stressors are completely different. And um, and when you get kind of frustrated with one world, you have the other world to sort of like calm you down and vice versa. So it, it kind of works out for me. For now. That makes sense to me. Honestly, it does. Uh, kind of being able to switch gears a little bit. Do you just kind of a follow up question? You you've talked about how you've written for young adult audiences, adult audiences, um, adult audiences in a nonfiction setting. Do you have a favorite audience to write for, or uh, you know, an audience that you kind of are wanting to go back to writing for? Um, I don't think I necessarily have a favorite audience. I do notice that sometimes after I've been writing nonfiction for a while, I crave writing fiction. Like I mm. crave being able to just make shit up. Ooh, am I allowed to say, am I allowed to cuss? Oh, okay. You are. I just, <laughs> like, cause sometimes you just don't want to deal with like, you know, you're beholden to facts and figures and putting it together in a way that's like, you know, entertaining. Um, sometimes you just want to just make things up and you want to be, the God of your universe, if that makes sense, you know, I'm just going to kill this person off. I'm going to create this person over here. I'm going to rip this plot out. Um, and you can be, uh, you know, do it with like aggressive glee, but it's your world. So you can do it. Um, within nonfiction, it's more, there are more parameters that you have to sort of stick to. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I find that I swing back and forth between like the, the calmness and the straightforwardness of writing nonfiction, and then like the sort of freedom of writing fiction. Yeah, and Star Wars is a an incredible sandbox to world build in, and you know, shout out to your your first story there, Right Hand Man, and the anthology for Empire Strikes Back. I feel like that is one we don't talk enough about, but it all kind of makes sense. You know, your brother's a hand surgeon, you're <laughs> you're in medicine, like it makes sense why you know you specifically would write that story, and it's such a great one. I love it. But now getting to join the High Republic Initiative. 
it is sort of a, a new world that you can play within and aren't necessarily constrained to some of the confines. And I use confines lightly, just like, you know, in the canon with the nine movies, it's like a whole new sandbox, 150 years before phase one, which is 350 years before Phantom Menace. So like, what was it like to join that initiative, knowing you can make your mark on Star Wars, but also like set this new tone and was there anything going into it that really helped to to set you up for that type of success within it? Yeah, it's funny because it's like it's sort of a sandbox within a sandbox, right? So a lot of the the rules of of the world still stand, um, but things are different because it, it is like the sort of prequel prequel. Um, I I think that what really helped was I I had known about you know the High Republic and I. Um, and phase one was familiar to me, but I, I kind of dug up quite a bit deeper into phase one and really got a feel for the voices and the characters and like how it was different, but the same in some ways, um, to a lot of the original canon. And I think, um, that sort of freed me up to, to say, like, I think I can maybe do this, but honestly it was, it was I was kind of terrified to write this book and I was pretty terrified throughout a good chunk of the process until I had a lot of words down and I realized I think I'm doing it and I think I'm, you know, doing a good job. But um, maybe it's because I'm newer, I'm a newer author in the Star Wars world compared to some of these authors who've been doing this time and time again and have many, many books under their belt. Um, I, For me, I just felt like I, I was holding, you know, um, such a high torch for like, this has to be done. Well, I have to do a good job. The fans expect good work, like premium work. And if I don't kick ass and do my absolute best, they will see it and they deserve the best. And so I was just constantly like, ah, just, <laughs> it was definitely, it was stressful, but I would say it was like good stress. It was like happy stress. I'm like, I would sort of swing between like, Oh God, I'm writing Star Wars to like get back to work and just get the scene down and stick the landing and, and make this count like on every emotional level that you need it to. And so, you know, it was really just sort of going back to some of the skills that I have and plotting and, and, and storytelling and stuff like that, that were the things that allowed me to do what I needed to do. Um, but yeah, it was like a, it was a, I, I've never had an experience like this. Um, and I, I might not ever have it again, because again, I've done it with, you know, I've, worked with all these people and they've been fantastic and I, and the book is out and I, it's just going to be, it's, I'm never going to be able to replicate the experience that I had over the course of, you know, the writing process. And it's just been amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to forget it. Well, I can assure you that this book whips a whole lot of ass. It's great. It's so (laughs) good. Uh, and you know, going from uh, the, the anthology right to the high Republic is, is definitely a, a big ask, but like, you were picked for a reason and the book shows that, you know, it shows exactly why you were the, the right choice for, for this, for this novel. Thank you. That is, that's very, very kind. I don't, I, I, I think it probably helps that I have written many, many other things. Um, yes, absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, it was a little scary. I remember like, um, when I, when they asked me, and I was just like, <laughs> I'm like, did you email the right person? Like, are you sure? Are you, sure? <laughs> are you absolutely sure? Um, <laughs> It says Lydia in the email, but like there are other Lydia's. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. And I was sort of like, can I really do this? And I was like asking friends, friends who I trust, friends who are in the publishing business. And they were just like, yes, Lydia, you can do this. And I'm just like, I don't know where you get your optimism from, but okay, I'll just go with it. So yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of like, that was sort of how I was feeling, but it took a while for me to start to feel like I'm doing right by this story. And I think I did a good job, but it was, um, um, I mean, I hope I did a good job. I hope the readers think I did a good job, but it's, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty nerve wracking for sure. <laughs> you mentioned kind of diving into high, phase one of the high Republic, uh, and also in the acknowledgements, I always love to pull up the acknowledgements in the conversation. You mentioned, uh, uh, you have a special shout out to Zoretta Cordova and Kevin Scott for conversing with you for quote, endless hours. Um, why were those particular discussions so valuable for you and, and what kind of, you know, guidance, advice, or just, um, conversations did you have that helped you to deliver the kind of story in this book? Right. So, you know, it's interesting. So Zoraida has written for Star Wars before, 
And um, so this wasn't her first novel, but it was her first time writing in the High Republic. And so I could talk to her as somebody who was sort of like newish, um, you know, to the group, but also knew enough about the process that it wasn't, you know, um, totally um, totally unknown. Whereas Kevin is sort of like worn in like an old shoe and has sort of been there for a while and is one of the original, you know, story architects and stuff like that. So I got different advice from both of them during the process and different times of support. But, you know, when on a plot plotting level, Zoraida and I had to talk a lot because um, I was writing the direct sequel. And so in some ways it was really important for me to like, I, it was hard for me to get started unless I knew exactly how like convergence was going to end and where the characters were emotionally, you know, at that time and that sort of thing. So, um, and things would change, you know, over time, sometimes things would get altered and I would have to alter things and, and vice versa. And, um, Cav and I, um, you know, his writing, um, path of vengeance, like there are overlapping, um, temporal, things happening in that book with uh cataclysm and so for that reason we had a lot of discussions like many many discussions but um he's you know he's so experienced and he has done this so many times so he's really helpful in just sort of guiding me and just basically calming me down all the time <laughs> when i needed to be calmed down you know i would be like texting him, i'd be like what about this and he'd be like we're gonna do that and um so i'm not i'm not gonna get too much into the nitty-gritty uh and, you know, lift the veil of sort of what happens um, behind the scenes. Suffice it to say, they are both lovely people to work with. I would work with them again in a heartbeat. Um, and it was, it made the process just that much more fun. Honestly, they're just, they're great people. Or while Cataclysm is like overlapping a bit with Path of Vengeance, it's also picking up a lot of pieces, like you said, from Zoraida's book. And also springboarding off the battle of Jeddah and it's really trying to close out this phase in a, in a, in a way and, uh, tie up some of those loose ends and give you some of those answers in a really like satisfying, uh, explosive emotional way. So like going into it, what sort of, like how, how was your initial approach kind of attacking that sort of challenge knowing like, you know, the pressure's on, like I gotta kind of wrap things up and um, and also deliver a story that has a lot of meaning and a lot of heart. Like, what, how do right. you like approach a task like that? Well, I think like I, with, as with any book that I write, um, especially ones that have like twists and lots of thrills and it's, it's meant to be a page turner, I have to know how the book ends. So knowing what was going to have to happen towards the end anchored me so that I could just that that was sort of like my light in the dark. So I could just always head towards that light and, you know, all roads lead to Dalna. And so that was just something that I had to sort of live by knowing that I had to weave all these threads that they came to the same place. And so things were really, you know, confusing and, and explosive and, um, and difficult. So, you know, they always like, we always joke in, in publishing, like, you know, you torture your, characters and you know you do you just make it so hard for them and I feel kind of bad <laughs> <laughs> I feel kind of bad but it was sort of worth it I knew this was going to be there's a reason why the book is called cataclysm it's it's a it's a there are harsh moments in this book and it is it's war and war is not pretty um and as much as I like tried to put in like you know little spots of levity in in the books the the bottom line is that a lot of star wars is about war and conflict and, and, and pain and suffering and trying to find the good in all of that darkness. And so, yeah, that's sort of what was constantly on my mind as I was making sure it worked. And it was hard. I have like these storyboards where I had like post-it notes. I can actually show you except that, oh, we're on a podcast. So I, <laughs> I have these like storyboards where I have these like color-coded post-it notes with like the different scenes of all the different characters. And they're like doing this, um, sort of like all over the place. And then, um, making sure that the colors were showing up at the appropriate amounts of time so that you weren't away from a character too long and forgot all about them before they sort of came back in. So it was, it's a much more complicated book than anything that I have ever written before because of so many intermingling storylines and making sure that I was being as mean as possible um, throughout the story to my characters. <laughs> Yeah, there are, there are a couple parts like in that. there. I was like, oh yeah, she definitely talked to Kevin about this book a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I mean, I'll never all forget love to Kevin. The, the series <laughs> yeah, of emotions. All up, all up. 
I go through every time I read one of these books and I pick up a new one and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm ready to suffer. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, we're safe, guys. Kevin's book doesn't come out till May. Oh, wait, Lydia, Lydia's hitting hitting some of the the uh, emotions in this one, hey. but I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's you know that's what we love so much about these stories, right? If it was if it was easy and fun all the time, it's not exactly going to be Star Wars. It's not going to you know have all those different things that we love about it so much you know with pain comes pleasure unfortunately in storytelling and um that's just something that we have to live by when it comes to these books unfortunately i love i love that i'm gonna start saying that about star wars with pain comes pleasure i love that (laughs) i love that so much (laughs) so you mentioned you know all roads lead to dalna and alas they do um but also um (laughs) Uh, kind of there's a really interesting conversation that's pretty explicitly mentioned by name like by name like proper noun uh the mother uh mothers in star wars is a really kind of interesting topic that we've talked about i think as a fandom over especially the past handful of years um but there's the mother this herself in the path of the open hand Besides having a pet monster that feeds off the forest just low key things um you know what do you think makes the mother such a terrifying foe compared to someone like we had in phase one with Marcion Rowe. Um, and, and what makes her story so compelling to tell? Right. I think that, you know, she is such a, a fascinating character because she has all of the sheen of the things that you would associate with a mother. She appears to be benevolent. She's leading a group. She's trying to protect them. She's trying to sort of grow her brood and, 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 and make them serve successful and and survive. Right. Um, But there is a sort of like dark, bold heart to her that is, you know, she's a survivor and you can be a survivor and and still have a good heart and then sometimes you can be a survivor and it means not having one and so i it was in, it was interesting to talk to talk and explore those two entities like what makes you um where do you gather your strength from right and i think it's i think it's a, a constant theme in so much of star wars which is um is that like, can you live in the gray zone? Do you live in one zone versus the other as far as like, you know, benevolence or always doing good or, you know, heading to the dark side because you have this ulterior motive? Um, Exploring that is fun. And the characters are interesting and complicated um, for all of those different reasons, because sometimes you don't know exactly where they live in that spectrum as you're reading, you're trying to figure it out because what's what we all want to do. We want to put somebody in a box. Luke is good. Darth Vader is bad. And as I think a lot of um, fans have found is a lot of the new content that's coming out, like an Andor and stuff like that, like, you know, the ambiguity of, of goodness and badness is fascinating. And it makes you just not want to stop learning more about them because you, it doesn't, it refuses to let you put somebody solidly in the boxes. I think that, and then also just it really clearly kind of reflects our own world. You know, people are complicated just as, as people in the everyday world. So yeah, I really love that point of view for sure. Somebody you did not put in a box in this book was, uh, Keon Gray Lark. I was like very pleasantly surprised by that. I did not expect to get as much of a, a perspective from her as we did. And, um, motherhood is not something that is explored in Star Wars as much as like Sarah and I would would love for it to be, but you really honed in on that and the Greylark family as a, a unit that is splintered and um, diving into some of the ambiguity of her character as well, like living in these two worlds, trying to balance the two, like being a mother over being the chancellor of the whole Republic. Um, what intrigued you about her character and did being a mother of three yourself help to influence the way that you wrote that character or even sympathized with her? Sure. Um, I, yeah, I made a conscious choice to make her a much bigger part of the book. It kind of made sense because we knew, you know, Axel was gonna, was gonna show up in Cataclysm and we had to sort of tell his story arc, but so much of his arc, um, reflects upon what he, how he grew up and how he developed. Right. And so much of development happens with what sort of parental figures are in your life um, or were they in your life? And yeah, I'm, so I, I've been a 
working mom since I started having kids. And I've always felt this real difficult um, tension between career and family. And it's, it's a tension that I think is unduly placed on women more than are, are certain, you know, parental figures versus others. And, um, and so I wanted to completely uh, exploit my own personal sort of, you know, frustrations with it and just stick it all on Kyung Greylark and be like, let's, let's see what happens when, you know, the fate, what is more important, the fate of the galaxy or the fate of, of the one family member that you love so much that you would be will like, what are you really willing to do for love? And, and she, she asked that question constantly, you know, um, what would you do? And, and there are certain, she draws certain lines, you know, these are some of the things that I will not do, but these are some of the things I will do. And it's, it was incredibly satisfying to pit her against the mother in the path of the open hand, who was called the mother and what the mother is willing to do for the people that, um, look to her as, as their own sort of savior or their own family. Um, so I had a blast writing about Kyung. It was very easy for me to write about the things that went through her head about the choices that she made. They came very naturally. I was like, Oh, she's going to do this. She's going to do that. And the great part was that, um, everybody has a, a conception of what a certain person is like based on, you know, what happened in um, convergence and um, how a person sort of acts and how cold they might be or how warm they might be or whatever. And I just, I just like to mess with that. I like to sort of challenge readers and flip that on their heads and be like, well, okay, you think they're going to do this? We're going to have them do that. You think they're going to do that? We're going to like, you know, completely um, change things around. So it was maybe one of the most, if not the most satisfying um, thing that I wrote or character that I wrote in this book. And it may not get a whole lot of airplay and people may not talk about it, but I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed writing her character. It was very, it was near and dear to my heart. This is the signal to the reader that we definitely should be talking about Kiang and in this story and then our conversations about the story. <laughs> She's not a character to miss. <laughs> no, Absolutely not. Not at all. She Not she rolls up her sleeves in this book and and there are some parts where um you know I laughed just because of of some conversations and I I got very emotional and and some of the friendships that Kyung has and and are explored in this book um whether it be with Yoda or with um Chancellor Malo like there's just so much to her character and I love that you talk about characters doing something maybe you wouldn't expect from them and and somebody else who I think of is Axel her son right speaking of um, the gray larks. And I was going through some of your past interviews and there was one, um, from 2018, you were talking with Ahmed and, and you said that like in your earliest days of writing, um, you always wanted to quote, write about what it felt like to help someone who was broken. And that obviously is influenced with your background in medicine, but I immediately thought of Gela and Axel and, and the way in convergence <laughs> Gela tells him, I don't want to fix you. Right. But she yeah. continues to give him second chances repeatedly in this book despite her her inner instincts telling her not to so like mm -hmm. between those two characters what was the most important thing for you to consider when developing that relationship because it does feel very authentic it feels very raw right yeah they were they were a difficult duo to to write because i i knew um i knew that axel's a little bit like um a pinball machine ball like he's just like he just goes zing and he like something hits him and he reacts he something hits him and he reacts and he's just constantly zinging all over the place, making terrible, ter terrible choices. And, and the question was, what is he like, what is he going to hit or what is going to finally stop him in his tracks and make him finally grow up, honestly, and, and sort of do the adult thing and, and realize that it, he can't keep running and pinging and all that kind of stuff. So I had to, I had to balance that with Gela, which is, you know, Gela, at the end of convergence is like, I'm going to become a way seeker. You know, she has found this sort of centering of herself, despite the fact that, you know, she guessed wrong when it came to Axel, like on, on, on occasions. And, and there is that sort of hurt of making this profound mistake, which had huge consequences on, on Iram. Right. And so there's this whole, like, is Gela ever going to trust herself again? When it comes to him, there's something about Axel that just throws her off kilter. And like all her good sense, 
all the calmness that she can get from, you know, harnessing the force and, and trying to be, you know, the best Jedi that she can be. It is constantly thrown off kilter in the presence of Axel. And so we had to play, I wanted to play with that and make sure that they were, they were throwing each other off, but they, I also wanted their relationship to, to develop and to get beyond where they were in, in convergence, which was hard. So yeah, they were, they were, they were difficult. I had to rewrite a lot of that. I had to really rethink and make sure that, um, things weren't coming out as simple as them just like barking at each other all the time, which is really fun to hear Axel and Gela just fight. Like it's, it's great fun, but it doesn't always forward the story or forward their own journey. And so, yeah, um, I could do, you know, I could do a book of them just like fighting constantly to the end, but, and it would be fun, but they wouldn't be better people at the end of it. So <laughs> yes, I love hearing that. It's you're so, uh, hit the nail on the head. Like it's not always just fighting, which is what I loved about it. Right. It, it's, it's complex. It's messy. Uh, you just, you don't know how to feel about these two in some ways you do in some ways you don't. And that, that's what makes you want to keep turning the page to figure out what's going to go on with them. And I got to ask too, like, what was your reaction to seeing Axel Greylark and all of his glory, his uh, beautiful glory on the cover of your book? Um, oh I don't my know God. If, when you saw it, it at was... New York Comic-Con, was that the first time seeing it? So, um, and I had seen, you know, early versions of it. So I kind of knew what was sort of coming, but actually getting it like in my hands and and looking at that beautiful bad boy face and and being like, <laughs> this guy, well, this guy looks like, you know, like my hot cousin, like if I had a hot cousin. <laughs> so I'm sort of like, oh my God, I could be related to him, except I would give him such a hard time for being such a bad boy. But like, you know, the, I have to say, I like, just like, just a huge shout out to, you know, they, they put these beautiful touches on his, on his coat that are like kind of Korean coded. And I was like, that's, I didn't ask them to do that. They just knew like, because it's just absolutely beautifully done. And, um, yeah, so it, I definitely, I kind of got a tear in my eye when I, when I saw it, I was like, I can't believe I'm looking at this. There's a, there's an Asian boy on a star Wars book and I wrote it. So I, it feels remarkable in a way that, um, no other book cover has ever felt, um, for sure. And it feels kind of historic. I, it's wonderful. I think it is so special. And I think it's also really cool uh, when you can see the two covers together and see the way that these stories are playing together. Uh, I know. I know. It's beautiful. Obsessed. They ha they are just so beautifully matched. And um, gosh, that is just a wonderfully, wonderfully done. Um, I just, I can't wait to also get my hands on like, you know, more of like the books with all the um, the artwork from the High Republic. Because every time I, I get like the first one that came out in the fall, I was like just like, pouring through it because it's just beautiful it's all those beautiful are, those are some of my favorite books like that star wars in any form publishes because i'm like oh pretty gorgeous art that brings these characters like from the books or from the storyboards to life in a yeah. new way always so cool mm -hmm. so i'm i'm with right there with you and enjoying that um i, I feel sweet. like if there were like alternate covers of these you know if we were to get like a second set of covers we have our main kind of pairing of characters of Axel and Gela who play off each other but there's also the story of Ziri and Fontu um mm -hmm. and within the story of Iron Man Arunel. and without spoiling too much there's a character who says it's the most dangerous thing in the world is to love someone and it's a fascinating idea to think about because uh in Convergence love is the thing that is at that point uh it, trying to starve stave off the war um or trying to fix fix things and um Ziri and Fontu kind of that they have that holding true for them that 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 realness of that connection and wanting to build something um was the resiliency of love like an important idea for you to explore with these two characters um and and what ways did uh you try to convey the complicated relationship of of love and um this arrangement and the war there's a lot happening <laughs> yeah yeah there is a lot happening and um I feel like sometimes I'm jealous because Zoraida got to do all of this fun stuff of them sort of hating each other in the beginning. And then they, they start to fall in love, but it's really complicated because their world, you know, each of their planets hate each other. And, and, but they're, as they're, you know, starting to fall for each other and, and, and deciding to, you know, join in this union together. Um, all I kept thinking was like, marriage is going to be hard for these guys. <laughs> like, true, it's going to be hard. And I know for reasons, 
it's going to be extremely hard in cataclysm. And that's what I decided I was going to address. Like I was going to make it difficult for them because, um, I feel like our culture, um, you know, American culture sort of celebrates the falling in love and like get the ring on the finger and like, Oh, the wedding is beautiful and the dress and stuff like that. And it's, it's everything that happens after that's marriage. It's not, it's not just the ceremony and stuff like that. And, and it's not pretty sometimes it's difficult. It's a ton of work and I did not want to downplay that and make things easy for them. I wanted them to start to immediately have issues with, Oh, we're married. So we always have to have the same opinion. Oh, we're married. We always have to be on the same page. And life is not that simple, especially when the, the two planets you come to hate each other and, you know, have been at this and this never ending war forever. So, um, so yeah, I, I wanted to, I wanted to tackle that a little bit. I wanted to make things a little bit difficult for them. Um, but I also wanted to show that they have a lot of hope because that's what happens when you're in a new relationship is there, despite the difficulty, there is the hope that, you know, that, that this union, that this vulnerability is going to pay out in spades. And so that's what you sort of cling to as you, as you sort of read along and, and wonder what's going to happen with these guys. Hope is uh, so quintessentially Star Wars. And I would say for anybody who is maybe concerned, like, you know, that the end of the Battle of Jeddah is not very uh, positive. It's not very optimistic, right? So in some ways you could think like, ah, oh, like everything Ziri and Fonsu did was for naught, you know, like, ah, oh, they, they did all that for nothing. Yes. But I think, I think what your book does really well is it, it, it makes all of that still feel worth fighting for. Um, yes. and I, I, as I was going through this book, I kept thinking of like Samwise Gamgee and the Lord of the Rings, like they're still good in the world, Mr. Frodo. And like, I just felt that way every time I was reading Ziri and Fonsu, like they recognize they're still good. Um, yeah. And that it, it is worth fighting for, despite like all the odds being stacked against them at every yeah. point. Yeah. Which is why I just I'm, I'm so glad that they did put that quote on the back of the book, because it is meaningful for so much more aside from the Battle of Dalna. Right. Um, it's it's meaningful in life. It's meaningful um, in partnerships. It's meaningful, in, you know when it comes to international relations and intergalactic relations. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that was it. I'm glad they put that quote on there, but yeah, working with, um, with Ziri and Fantu and making sure that, um, they could see that it is the theme that never goes away in star Wars. Hope. Uh, speaking of the back of the book, that quote is from, uh, the legendary Yaddle. And I remember, uh, at New York comic-con when you mentioned you would explore Yaddle, and cataclysm there was like audible gasps everywhere in the room it was like it was like the world stood still it was like oh my god yeah. yaddle uh we got to see yaddle in tales of the jedi uh you know regrettably in some ways because it was a little bit tragic but uh yeah. getting to go back to her prime in some ways like what was it like to write that character like we haven't really gotten to know much about her and you got to flesh out her personality and she's watching uh this youngling sippa uh which is another element to her story like how did it feel to, to take on the reins? It was, it felt wonderful. And I originally, you know, I conceived of putting her in um, Master Yaddle, like in the story, not as a main character, but just sort of like kind of showed up here and then sort of showed up there. And, and that was, that was kind of it. <laughs> and um, the sort of feedback I got um, from, from the powers that be were like more yaddle it was like a simple <laughs> like, more yaddle and i was like really really because i wanted to put more in but i wasn't sure if i was like i was like okay excellent i'm totally going for this <laughs> so i really i sort of rewrote her storyline and um was able to make her uh, a main character that you get to follow throughout the story with her and sippa and um and sippa tarko she was also difficult to to write um as a, as a character and making sure that, um, you know, she wasn't just there for laughs or she wasn't just there for like, you know, um, just to be snarky, a little snarky kid here and there. I, it was a journey for everybody. And so that's the difficult thing is making sure that people change from the beginning of the book to the end, but in a way that feels, um, you know, challenging for them not obvious and also satisfying in some ways and in some cases, you know, not satisfying depending on the character or the situation. Um, but yeah, so writing Yaddle coming back to Yaddle was 
I don't know. It was just this, like, I, I can't really quite put words to it, but when I knew I was going to write about her, I just got kind of got this sort of warm feeling, this warm green feeling. I was just like, I just sort of felt like I knew her voice. I sort of felt I immediately knew how she would react to things. I knew she would have maybe a sense of humor. I knew that she um, was also a master Jedi, which meant that she was working on a level that was different than so many different people on the page. And I had to respect that. And, um, you know, there's three of her, her species in the Star Wars universe, period. That's it. You know, um, I had to be careful with her and I, I, I wrote her with a, a huge amount of respect. So, um, I, you know, hopefully, uh, people will enjoy her adventure in this book. I, I just was so tickled that I was able to, um, write about her and, and it came out um, the way it did. So it was just, it was just awesome. Awesome all the time. <laughs> I love that the note was not like, oh, he got to scrap the whole thing, but in- instead more Yaddle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like there's yeah. no better than, than better feeling than like, oh, I get to explore this yeah. more. You two you're words. Gonna, I know. It might, do it? <laughs> it might have to turn into a tattoo more Yaddle. People- <laughs> I support <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, they have tattoo stations at Celebration. It's not too late to book an appointment, I'm sure. Do Wait, for the real, they tat- are? They do have tattoos. There's like a whole yeah. tattoo pavilion sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That sounds extremely, extremely dangerous. In a <laughs> <way>. <laughs> Just kidding. We oh, never man. said anything. <laughs> Had one too, many, one too many blue milks during the High Republic panel. I'm going to go get an Elzar man tattoo next That's week. That's right. That's not yeah. a bad thing. <laughs> do it. That- <laughs> I would love to see it. Anyway, that's a whole other, like, if it happens, we'll, we'll, we'll do a podcast on it. Um, <laughs> but kind of like to, to get a little serious and wrap things up again here. Um, after this whole story and readers, I am, or listeners, I am going to allude to the final parts of the book. So just FYI, listener, um, the, you know, the final lines of the book kind of signal a hopefulness and a new start. And I'm, I'm wondering what you hope readers walk away uh, with from this story and the arc that these characters went on. Oh gosh, boy, you know how to end on a really, really intense question. Um, what do I hope that readers will take away from this? Um, I hope that this will be like, you know, some of the earliest stuff in this galaxy, in this, um, in the sandbox. And um, I hope people realize that there are certain elements of Star Wars that never ever go away, and that they are um, they are just immutable, and they will exist in in every single book that you find, and and that these books are no different. Um, I hope that you also see that you know the Republic was once very young, and um, the Jedi Order, you know, during the High Republic when it's at its height, you know, also was figuring things out, and I think that was a really interesting thing to to look at and that is what what's different from everything else that's ever been written is um is this the status of the galaxy is quite different back then and if you want to know what it was like way back when you can go through phase two and sort of get this feeling for a different time and place um but also still know that you are in familiar territory so um so yeah like let's let's remember never to forget some of the same themes of the good versus evil you know, never giving up hope, trust in the force. Um, those things uh, last forever in this universe, no matter how far back you go. Definitely. That's uh, beautifully put. Uh, and to, uh, I don't know if you have a couple extra minutes. We have like some quick rapid fire questions here for you just <laughs> okay. to end on. Um, some fun questions, just uh, not, not no a test, wrong no quizzes, no wrong answers. <laughs> okay. Seriously. Uh, but first off, do you have, I think you might have alluded to it. Do you have a favorite Star Wars film? Oh, yeah, Empire Strikes Back is always my is my favorite. It's um but you know, I like a lot of them and very very much so, but I I Empire Strikes Back is probably my favorite. It just has everything. Everything is just perfection in that movie. I love it. Absolutely. I don't think there's anyone out here denying that. <laughs> it's it's a quali- <laughs> it's a quality movie. Um what is your favorite who is your favorite uh Star Wars character? Um, oh God, it's really hard to say one. So I guess if I'm going to some of the originals, to the original three movies, to four, five, and six that I grew up with, when I was a kid, it was Leia, because I would pretend to be Leia on the playground. 
we were all fighting to be Leia. Sometimes I didn't get to be her, but that was very sad. Um, but I, I think that throughout everything, um, across so many different platforms and, and media and stuff like that, I, I think Obi-Wan is maybe one of my favorites because you see such a big arc. You get to really get to know him on so many, in so many places. Um, yeah. And if I were to say more recently, um, I'm a huge gushing fan of Cassian Andor, like huge fan. Like, I just, I just, I'm so, I'm like, can it come out sooner? Can the, ne- can the next season come out any sooner? I'm just, I'm so excited. I just love it so much. I remember watching Rogue One and being like, where's the book? Where's the book? And you know, now that we have the show, it's like better than I could have ever imagined. It's funny because when I watched Rogue One, I found it very upsetting. Mm. So sad. And when I, um, and it took me a while to realize how fantastically awesome Cassian was, but I did the same thing when it came to like Loki. Like I remember being like, <sighs> I understand why everybody's into Loki. And then I like watched Thor like two more times. And then all of a sudden I was just sort of like deeply attracted to him. And I was like, I get it now. <laughs> but sometimes it takes me a couple like mm. shots to realize how fantastic somebody is. Cause the first time it just sort of kind of happens fast. And I think I was just so upset by the end of Rogue One and it was just, it was too difficult for me to like want to watch it again. But now I'm sort of like, I get it. I deeply get it. Like, um, yeah, huge, huge fan of, of the writing that Tony Gilroy is doing and, and what's happening in, in, uh, in Andor is just fantastic. I love in your acknowledgments, you said when the Lucasfilm logo appears on the screen, when I'm watching Andor, my heart does a little disco dance. And I texted Sarah as soon as I read that, I go, she's one of us. (laughs) (laughs) On I absolutely mean that I'm sort of like I it it is a weird thing like I am I'm sort of behind the curtain now you know I get I don't get Mm. to see everything that happens but I get to see a lot and I'm I'm allowed back here and it's um it is just it's such an honor and it's such a it's such a pleasure and I and I just I still pinch myself because I'm kind of like you know maybe after it maybe if I've written more stuff in Star Wars I'll become a little bit more kind of like, yeah, I'm used to being here, but I'm still very fresh and green and like <laughs> a lot of squealing that's going to be happening next uh, when I'm in London. So yes. um, yeah, if you, if you like poke me, I will probably squeal with happiness. So just <laughs> know that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> the good thing about Star Wars is, you know, no matter how long it's been in your life, no matter how old you are, how long, you know, like Star Wars has been around, there is that sense of genuine wonder and joy that you can it find is. in it. Even yeah. with the most morally ambiguous characters or the most complicated storylines. The wonder is there because it's in, it's baked into the world. Um, Yeah. Star Wars is like, has everything good in it is all the good things you need for the absolute perfect escape. Like everything. It's got the humor. It's got the, the good. It's got the bad. It's got the struggle. It's got some romance, you know, it's got, Oh, it's just got everything. It's perfect. Speaking of of the book, the the series having everything, our perhaps silliest, you know, rapid fire question we could ask is if you could take any character from your book and introduce them to any other character in the Star Wars franchise and have them have a conversation or be best friends or enemies, Mm -hmm. who would you choose? Which two characters and why? Oh, that's a a really (laughs) hard question. Um, So... For reasons, I would pick um, Ada Forte, mm. and I would have her. Who would I have her meet? I would have her meet. I would want her to meet somebody who doesn't know how to be a Jedi yet. So I would have her meet Ray early on in the movies and be like, "This is what it can be like," you know. I I would love for Ada to have that conversation with somebody who was struggling and show all that bounteous warmth and energy and um and also like you know knowledge and wisdom and impart that on somebody who was looking to find their way. It's an excellent answer. So I love such that. Such a good answer. Now I'm thinking about I it. I love that, you know. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah. <sighs> and uh finally here our last question last mm-hmm. one to wrap it up uh what does star wars mean to you like whether it's personally professionally if you could just kind of sum it up and and like how it makes you feel at the end of the day mm-hmm. like what would your answer be you know what probably because of the way it was saying such 
a part of my, my growing up and stuff like that. Like it, you know, I don't want to say it feels like family, but it feels like, it feels like this sort of essential part of the culture that I live in. It's not just Korean culture and it's not just medical culture and stuff like that, but like Star Wars culture is like always been in the background of my, of my, of my life. Um, maybe not as intensely as, um, as some people in the fandom. And I, I absolutely bow to how much people know about, you know, what's in this, in this, in this galaxy, but, um, but it, it has meant something important to me. And I, it, so it feels that much more special that I've been invited into this magical, magical world. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> Well, we are also uh, thankful that you've been in- invited into the Star Wars galaxy. We hope it's not your last Star Wars book for sure. Um, I think, I think that will be felt by many other fans and readers of uh, the High Republic when Cataclysm is out on shelves. So, Thank Lydia, you. we appreciate your time today on the podcast. It was honestly such a pleasure to to chat with you and and celebrate the book's release. Where can our listeners find you online? And is there any other work that you have coming up that you can talk about that you would like us to be aware of? Oh, um, so I am on um, Twitter, Lydia Y. Kang. Um, I am on Instagram at Lydia Kang. And you can usually find events lists and book stuff on my website, LydiaKang.com. Um, I am in the process of writing like a bunch of different things, but I do have a nonfiction book that's coming out as a follow-up to Patient Zero and Quackery. And it's on the topic of pseudoscience where I, uh, Nate Peterson and I get to talk about things like flat earth, and don't don't hate me astrology and a lot of other things that we are going to sort of um talk about uh, and why we put so much faith in them so it's 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 going to be a fun book um i don't know exactly when it's coming out probably sometime in 2024 but that's what i'm working on right now that's exciting yeah i'm, I'm here for it <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah. and then future um star wars related stuff um can't talk about it but there's something will be revealed at some point in time. And I'm just going to leave it vague like that. Cool. Awesome. Well, we love your vague Star the, Wars. On, <laughs> you know, you know, just like keeping it, it's keeping it in the galaxy. Yeah. It's just, it'll, we'll get, we'll get to that hyperspace. I don't know. I'm trying to connect it. It's not happening, but I'm trying. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we'll definitely keep an eye on socials um, all the time because we live on the internet and uh, yeah, we look forward to it. So. Awesome. so yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. Thank you again. And we hope you have a great time at your, your first celebration. Thank you. Thank you so much. And remember, and if you poke me, I will squeal with happiness. So <laughs> it's too hard. All right. Thank well, you guys so much for having me. I had a great time. Of course. And uh, may the force be with you. And may the force be with you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Lydia Kang. And a huge thank you to Delray for making it happen and also sending us a review copy of the book. Uh, as we mentioned up front, Cataclysm is now out. Uh, we will have a book discussion up sometime in the coming weeks after Celebration. Uh, not one you're going to want to miss because we are going to go through our emotions with it mm-hmm. quite heavily. And it is such a wonderful book and we have, we have a lot to say. And in the meantime, until our next discussions on Phase 2 of the High Republic, you can find us on all of our socials, including Twitter and Instagram, where we're shouting all of our opinions into the void. Hopefully some of them are good. Probably most of them are bad, but still you can follow us on those platforms and please follow us wherever you're listening to the show because we love books here. And if you love books, you should be following us and listen to all the good things. We got lots of other interviews with authors in the past. Great stuff here on the channel. So make sure you're, you're following us and drop a review if you enjoyed this episode. Yes. And if you have listened to this episode, but you haven't listened to our episode on convergence with Sarita Cordova, Go do that next. Um, But seriously, thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to our conversation with Lydia King. Um, We are so grateful that you are here. And an extra special thank you to our patrons who help make this show happen every single week. And even the weeks we don't have a podcast out. Seriously. Thank you to Ben, Brian, Cheryl, Clay, Deborah, Dylan, Sizzle, Emma, Huang, Jennifer, Knights of Ren, Katie, Leanne, Levi, Lucy, Lindsay, Matthew, Rob, Saber Bouquet, Santa, Skytalker, Steven, Tom, and Travis. We are grateful for all of you. And again, for everybody who's taking the time out of their day. Hope you're having a good one. Yes, absolutely. And if you are listening to this before celebration, there will be a High Republic panel this Saturday. Pain. So make sure you're checking out our Twitter there Panic. for all of the updates on phase two 
and on phase three, baby. So you're going to want to check those out. I live in fear, just like the Jedi. <laughs> you're like, Sarah, stop just interrupting. Like and Jedi. I'm like, no, 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 fear, like the Jedi. <laughs> what do the Jedi fear? What do we fear is the question. Uh, but we will find out this Saturday. So thank you, everybody, once again. And until next time, may the force be with you always.